That is a short passage of Scripture. We couldn't have gotten much shorter if we had said God is love, right? That might have uh, been the only one shorter than that. Before sharing with you here in regard to the passage of Scripture, um, I want to speak a word of thanks to the choir. Were you all listening to that? That was just that was just such a beautiful, beautiful sharing with us. And we thank you for for making this service what it needs to be. And that is God directed and filled with thanksgiving and celebration and reverence. This is this is what you all help make possible in this place. And we are so indebted to you uh, to help us to make this offering to God in this way. St. Francis of Assisi that we are focusing on through Scripture over these three weeks of, of uh, effort during November, we look to him in our day and age almost as this mythic symbol of a person. There probably is more folklore about St. Francis than there is reality among the things that we know about him. But this is the way it is with every person of God. Those saints, even recent saints, are promoted into higher glory than they may have lived among us. Have you ever done this maybe with a member of your family who was so precious and valued and yet they became even more so after their passing. They could do no wrong, even though if you had asked their their family while they were living, they might have been able to point out a few things to you that were not quite in order. I suspect that we have polished St. Francis to the point that there is nothing that does not reflect in our minds the glory of God there. Now, this young man was exceptional. This man born over 800 years ago in central Italy, who was so profoundly taken with the presence of God in his life, these visions that came to him that spoke of God's presence transformed his life. And because of that, it has transformed to a degree our lives because of our understanding of who he was. He would not have said ever that he was meant to be a poet, but because of his visions and because of wanting to express what he felt in his heart, there are words that are attributed to him that are profoundly important that we share together in this place. One poem of his is entitled The Canticle of Brother Son. Let me read to you a portion of it today. Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, the honor, and all blessing. 
To you alone, Most High, do they belong. And no man is worthy to mention your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day. And you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor of you, Most High. He bears the likeness. Praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon. And the stars in heaven, you formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praise be you, my Lord, through Brother Wind and through the air cloudy and serene, and every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister Mother Earth, who sustains us and governs us and who produces varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Praised be you, my Lord, through those who give pardon for your love and bear infirmity and tribulation. Blessed are those who endure in peace, for by you, Most High, they shall be crowned. I fear that if St. Francis were alive today, that somebody would hang the moniker on him of tree hugger, don't you think? <laughs> he would be accused of loving trees and I, I have a feeling that he would smile and he would laugh and he would say, oh, yes, I love trees. He said, but he would say, he would say, I love, I love the one behind the tree that has sent us the tree. I love the one who lives within the tree. And I love the one who lives within all of this creation. You know that he didn't come up with this on his own, don't you? He was so steeped in Scripture, he was living it out in his life. Psalm 148 bears these words that show close resemblance to what he was saying in Canticle of Brother Son. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Sound like St. Francis? What a beautiful thing. This life born of the very essence of God and the essence of Scripture. This patron saint of ecology. In our day and age. And yet you and I don't know exactly what to do with him. Better we can find those celebrations to the month of October on the day that has so been delegated. 
but to give thought to him throughout the year. What do we do with St. Francis? I believe even in our garden art, we seek to minimize his part in our life. Because I've never seen a statue of him that was taller than a two-year-old. There in the garden, standing, sort of contained, as it were, into his space with birds on his shoulders, perhaps even on a hand. Maybe he makes his way into the garden of our lives, but we think of him as being minimized. This St. Francis in miniature. And it does him a disservice. For Francis loved God. And this is what it is about. With all his heart, he saw in those things around him the very presence of God. And uh, so I ask you this morning, do we really see God expressed in nature as he did? Oh, I know that you and I have the tendency at times when we are just in the right circumstance to say things like, oh, what a beautiful sunset or what a beautiful sunrise. Who could not believe in seeing this? Have you ever said that? Who could not believe in seeing the beauty here? But you see, the difference is that that is confined to a portion of our life. It is episodic at best for us that we would be awakened by the sun in some new way. St. Francis lived as he did, the sun being a member of his family, the moon being a member of his family, the fire and the water and the trees and the birds, all of this was evidence to him of God's presence. I read a book a while back that was written by Rabbi Joseph Salatvichek, who was immigrated to the U.S. and living in New York City. He's now deceased, but he was revered, greatly revered, as being really the father of modern orthodoxy in Judaism. Uh, such a profound man of God. This book is a small book, It's entitled, The Lonely Man of God. And in that book, he looks into just the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And he does something very profound with it. First, he brings to our attention that chapter 1 and chapter 2 are written very differently. And he, the biblical forensic artist that he was and that theologians and scholars seek to be, he saw that these passages were most likely written by two different persons if not a whole host of people that were placing their ideas on page for us. Not to miss, but to finally discover how different they are. This passage that Jared has read to us just a little bit ago 
is the second passage that I want to read. The first is actually in the 28th verse of the first chapter. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That has a certain feel. Let that resonate for just a moment. Now he'll hear the words from chapter 2, verse 15. Both of these passages being attached to the creation of humankind. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Let this resonate for just a moment. Do you sense the difference in these two passages? One, to subdue it, and the other, to tend it, to keep it. Oh, you and I don't think about this too much. In fact, it'll give us a headache if we spend too much time on it, I suppose. You and I move through life without thinking what we're doing, though. And this is our curse, is that we don't realize that we each are theologians and that we bring to bear on our world very terrible things because we're not aware of God all around us, prompting us. You could almost make this passage in chapter 1 with the words, subdue it to be our enemy itself. And yet I know that there are certain things that do have to be subdued. And you know that too. But that's not in short supply in our culture. In fact, everywhere we look, we see people that do nothing else with their lives but subdue God's creation in all of its forms. What is in short supply for us is this idea that we are called by God to till the world and to tend it and to keep it. These are important concepts for us to get right because within us both concepts are alive. Wendell Berry, this American poet, environmental activist, cultural critic, and farmer would remind us that the environment is not something that we observe as much as it is something that moves through us. How many of you have stood in a strong wind before and felt as if it were blowing through you? Have you ever leaned into a wind that was strong enough to keep you from standing upright? If you stood upright, you would topple over. Do you sense the wind moving through you? Wendell Berry reminds us that the entirety of the environment moves through us. 
at any given moment. My grandfather on my daddy's side was a farmer. Some of you have heard me say that he never owned any land. He was a tenant farmer. He lived on the land that he farmed, but he was not the owner of the land. He did not own even a small part of it. In fact, the house in which he lived was a house that he was given permission by a very gracious landowner to live in, he and my grandmother, beyond the days that they were able to do the planting of the property. It was a wonderful arrangement for them to be able to stay on land that they had cared for and that had cared for them all of their lives. Now, my daddy Chanel was never known to be a sacred individual in any way. In fact, he could say things that were quite off color at times. He, though, had this holiness about him in my mind that was generated not so much by his reality of owning the land, but how somehow the land had come to own him. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Some of you have lived in that way. There aren't many of us that live in such closeness to the land that we feel a part of the land. But he was one of those individuals. I think there was something sacred that was visited among my father as my father grew up not to become a farmer himself, but a preacher. But I can remember that when my mother and dad would take us on these long camping expeditions, that at the time, every time, I cannot remember this ever not having been the case, that when we would break camp, when we would put up our tent, when we would take down the, the things that we had brought to camp there in that place, my dad would always say, listen, we leave this place better than we found it. I didn't put that wrapper there, Daddy. It does not matter. It is there. You pick it up. We leave this place better than we found. Have you ever heard that before? What a beautiful thing. I thought my dad was the tidiest man around. But it's not about order. What he was concerned with, I do believe, was this connection with the earth and this respect for it that we want to reverence it in a way that shows to God that we see God's presence in it. I saw a bumper sticker that said, take care of the earth 
as if your life depended on it. Oh, come on, get that one, right? We are dependent on this earth. And you ask yourself, and I ask myself, what can I do? What can I do as one individual? My sphere of influence is so small, especially in regard to these larger questions that are out there. The idea of greenhouse gases and industrial pollution and and global warning. I would like to be able to tell you that I'm standing here as an expert before you and that I've done all my research and that I can tell you for a fact that global warning does exist. But I can't. I'm not an expert on this stuff. And I don't suspect that I ever will be. And so there are persons that are in battle about it right now. Some who say it is absolutely real and others who object and say it is a bunch of malarkey. This story that is being sold. I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you what I do know. I do know scripture. And that there's an important part to this. That we better not be ignoring And that is that God has an expectation that our role is not simply to subdue the earth, but to tend it and keep it. And sometimes we're investing ourself, our time, our energy, our resources in the keeping of the earth, not knowing how the future generations will be affected by our decisions. And I hope and pray that we will tend it so well that they will be blessed by this earth. But what is critical to me is that we understand from the St. Francis perspective. That is that this act of tending and keeping the earth is in and of itself this expression of love to God who loves us so much that he gave us this world. Do you understand? This is not an option. This is not choose A, choose B. You and I must be tenders and keepers of the world. I had a conversation with a man in a former church that I served who was nearing death. Um, He had breathed in early in his life these fibers, asbestos fibers, when it was his job to clean out the interior parts of ships that were docking in shore before anyone knew that there was grave danger in working in that without being masked. And his lungs were slowly just disintegrating. And so in the midst of our uh, many conversations, I remember talking with him about his life and his work And I said, and you did that for a long time. And he said, no, he said it was a very short period of time that I actually worked on those ships. He said, my work, and he just lighted up. He 
He said, my work. He said, you want to know about my work? He said, I, I was in Appalachia and I thought to myself, that's a great thing. That's a great place to be. He said, I was up in the hills of, of Tennessee and Virginia. And, and then he lowered the boom. He said, he said with such excitement, he said, you know, he said, have you ever seen a big truck? I said, I've seen a big truck. He said, no, I mean a really big truck. I said, how big? And he said, as big as my house. I said, I've never seen a truck that big. He said, he said that he was around those day in and day out. I said, really? I said, you drove those? He said, no. He said, I was the engineer that directed those. And I said, doing what? And there he began to share with me the whole industry of strip mining and to describe to me how they brought in huge machines to take the tops off of mountains and to gain what is right now a necessary resource for us in the way in which we're living, this, this coal. And he said to me with such, such a deep sense of having done the right thing, that this was his crowning glory, that he had served in that way, his nation in that way. And I, I want to say, there's a part of me that wants to say that the conversation became a little thinner at that point for me. Not that, that it should have, I, because I know that we all participate in decisions of that nature, but but in relationship to that one issue, I began to think how many communities have been affected by those very decisions and how subduing the creation has at times this long-term effect that not only has an effect on us here and now, but carries its mark for generations and generations and generations to come. We do well to train our children in school with the words reduce, reuse, recycle. That is something that we can do as individuals. Reduce, reuse, recycle. And some are sharing that another word should be added to that, and that is renew. Because we have a responsibility to renew creation that has been damaged. Now, you will say that the earth does that on its own. It does to the best of its ability. The world is a wild, a wild planet that has this unbelievable ability because God has placed it there to renew itself. But don't you know that you, can, you and I can make it very difficult on the earth to renew itself? How many of you have a red-lettered edition of the Bible either with you or at home. I'm curious about that. 
I have one too. And in fact, I treasure it because the red letters, they mark the words of Christ. And so in looking at the scripture, you can go directly to the things that Jesus said. In fact, it would be good for us to become red-lettered Christians. But there's another Bible that is present with us today. I don't know if you have discovered it yet, but it's called the green-lettered edition. And I count it a wonderful thing that some good evangelical somewhere came to the notion that God might expect for us to be aware of everything in the Scripture that is connected, even in the smallest way, with the subject of ecology. And so throughout that Bible, you can find things that are highlighted in green that maybe you never paid attention to before. Because you didn't see it as your responsibility, that we didn't see it as our responsibility. Now, I don't have one of those Bibles before me today, but I guarantee you that one of the passages that's marked in green is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. He has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. There are many political pundits today who are actively seeking our attention to believe that there's no problem. There's no problem. Does global warming exist? I don't know. I don't know enough about the subject. Do I have a responsibility in relationship to the environment around me? For the very love of God, I do. To care for it. And tend it as if it were God himself. Our calling is to this awareness. A tree hugger told us to live that way. As we come to the close of worship, I want to open this altar, especially if you would like to pray for God to make you more aware and to give your life and commitment to this calling to live in relationship to the earth and to God in a very connected way. I want you to know that this altar is open to you to come and to pray here. And I want to also open it for those who are seeking God in their lives and have this sense that God is seeking you today. 
This is a wonderful opportunity to say, God, help me. You know who I am. Come and live within me. Let's stand as we share in our final hymn. You'll find it on page 670.